Welcome to our Green Country Church Message Archive. We hope you enjoy the message today. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at greencountrychurch.org. This week we're going to be looking at uh, Father's Day, right? So this, this passage, um, yeah, we'll go through a little bit more about um, uh, being a father and the, looking at the next generation. So we're going to look at that together. Now just a fun fact. Many, maybe some of you don't know this, but I actually, uh, one year ago today, uh, came to this church to preach my interview message, I guess you could call it. Um, I had gotten a phone call uh, from John about maybe interviewing for the position as the pastor here, and it just so happened my wife and I, we were planning a trip to come here for Father's Day. And so one year ago, today I stood here having no idea what was about to happen, living in Arizona and having a great time, but now here we are, and so it's just amazing how God works, and I don't know, I'm, I'm very thankful. I'm thankful for all of you, and I'm thankful this is where we are today, so uh, that's not part of the message, but I just thought it was kind of cool, so I thought I'd share it with you this morning. All right, so Psalm 78, we're actually going to start uh, with verse 5, and uh, this psalm is called the Psalm of Remembrance. It's a very long psalm, so if you're looking at it going, oh my goodness, we've got a lot to cover, it's true. Uh, But a psalm of remembrance is basically a retelling of history of God's presence in humanity. Don't let your roast burn. It's all right. A little chewy roast. So Psalm 78. um, uh, Basically, it's a psalm of remembrance. And what it does, it tells the history of God's presence in humanity. It focuses on acts of salvation, redemption in the past. Uh, These psalms usually turn our hearts toward gratitude as we remember God's grace and his specific actions, the miraculous, and the major historical events. And so we're going to be looking at some of the historical events of the people of Israel. And now I can get rid of this. All right, here we go. Psalm 78, verse 5. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob. This is God. God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for today, and I thank you for these testimonies, Lord, that have just confirmed many of the things that we're going to talk about right now, and just the importance of fathers in this world, and how desperately we need fathers to to stand up and to raise their kids and to teach them well. Lord, I pray that you would just encourage us now as we read your word, encourage us through your Holy Spirit to to truly live um, lives that are examples to those around us, the kids that are around us, and to be example to them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Psalm 78 uh, is called a maskal. I don't know if you guys saw that at the beginning. We don't exactly know what a maskal is, uh, and maybe I'm not even saying it right, Um, but the best uh, interpretation is that it is a a wisdom poem or a wisdom song, and so this is a psalm that's meant to instruct us about how to live, and uh, I honestly wanted to read the whole thing. I don't know if I will, though. I might just kind of paraphrase, but... um, We'll see. Uh, So Psalm 78, well, it it starts off in a very interesting way. And I don't know if you guys also caught, um, who is the author of this psalm? Did anybody see it? Asaph, right? You guys remember Asaph? I talked about him last week. 
I'm actually really liking this guy, all right? So I didn't, I've never really studied him before. There's not really a whole lot to study. Um, but what we do know is that he was a worship leader and he served under David. And then from this psalm, we find out he also served under Solomon. And so here's uh, Asaph in a very different type song than what we talked about last week. Last week was like, woe is me. You know, I wish I would have never been a follower of God because look at how the rich prosper. Well, Asaph has a very different attitude now. Um, and that's probably because a lot has changed since the last psalm. So the, the psalm we did last week was Psalm 73. Um, this is probably quite a few years past that. And what has happened in the meantime, um, from the best we can understand, was that during his, oh man, the rich are prospering, that was around the time of Absalom. I talked about that. Absalom was one of David's sons, and he had kind of rebelled against David, tried to take the kingdom from David. Not a great story, ends up dying. Um, David's brokenhearted. Well, a, a lot of other tumultuous things kind of happened, but now Solomon has been established as the king, right? So the, the secession has happened. Solomon is named as the new king of Israel, and Asaph has kept his job. He's still the worship leader. He's still writing songs for the Lord. And so he writes this song as uh, an encouragement, as wisdom to the people to continue to follow God. And what I love is he starts this off in... Uh, uh, a kind of fun way. Verse 1 of chapter 78, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. And so I had this pastor friend back in Phoenix. He would do this. Whenever he would get really into his message, he'd lean forward and he goes, Come on, guys, bring it in. Bring it in. Bring it in, right? He'd whisper that and then he'd kind of talk with like this quiet tone, you know, and he'd really get into it. But I think that's what Asaph is doing here. He's saying, Come here, give, come here. I'm about to teach you guys something. Bring it in. Bring it in. You know, like the coach that brings him in you know, for the huddle. He says, I'm going to open my mouth in a parable, verse 2. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So like I said, you can just feel the, the feeling is very different this time, right, than, than the kind of woe-ish um, Psalm 73. There's excitement. He's recognizing that God has done glorious things, and he's saying to the people, listen, what we need to do is we need to tell all of these wonderful things to who? To our children. He says, we'll not hide them from our children, but tell them to the coming generation. And so then he begins to go through this history, and we'll try to just go through it quick. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob. That means he chose Abraham and appointed a new law in Israel. That's Moses. And he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So this is kind of like the preamble, right? This is like the beginning of this long history lesson. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing. We don't want Tim's roast to burn. Um, but I would encourage you to read it this week. And my, many of it, you know, a lot of you will probably, you know, you're familiar with the Old Testament. This is basically a quick summary of the Old Testament. It's uh, some kind of the, the great highlights of God's work for the people of Israel. Um, but he basically is contrasting uh, this group of the Ephraimites and then the Judaites or the, the Jewish, the Jews, <laughs> um, the people who are of the tribe of Judah, right? Um, so the Ephraimites and the people of Judah. And the reason he's doing that is because uh, not necessarily that picking on any specific acts of 
Ephraim, but he's trying to help the people understand that there was a difference between those uh, who were not following God and those who chose to follow God. And so he gives this history lesson. He talks about how, um, verse 11, I'll just highlight a few things. Um, It says, they forgot his works in the wonders that he had shown them. So these Ephraimites, they did not remember all the things that God had done. They forgot, and so they began to do evil things, wicked things. They began to turn away from God. We read on about how uh, through the history of uh, the Exodus and the, the, the people leaving uh, Egypt, how they went through the wilderness, and there was all of this doubt, there was all of this frustration with Moses. But even through all of those things, God was with them, right? Um, a few of the highlights, verse 25. Uh, man ate the bread of the angels. He sent them from food in abundance. He's caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat down on them like this. I'm just going to read it. It's just so much better. All right, in verse 29, and they ate and they were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel, right? So they're starving in the desert. They get angry with God. God gives them manna. Well, we don't just want manna. We want meat. So then God gives them meat. But then he gets mad. He's like, why did I give them meat? These guys are not doing what they're supposed to do. So he killed a bunch of them. Verse 32, In spite of all this, so even though God's trying to be merciful, he's trying to show them, he's still getting frustrated because they're they're continuing to sin. Verse 32, in spite of all this, they they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly, right? So this is that history. If you read through the book of Judges, God gets angry with his people. He sends judgment on them. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh man, we messed up. God, we're so sorry. They repent, and they, begin, they would begin to seek God earnestly. Verse 35, they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer, but they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant, yet he, this is really important, right? So, and now, it's not necessarily the, the individual. It, it's more like as a group, right? They would, they would submit to the Lord, but then together, their actions would begin to move farther away from God, right? They begin to act, um, the word they used was they would lie, right? They were flattering. They were acting like they wanted to honor God, but they actually didn't. Their hearts were not steadfast. But I love this verse 38 because what I think the psalmist is trying to do here, what Asaph is trying to do is to help us understand the heart of the Father, the heart of God. Verse 37 says, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to the covenant. Verse 38, yet he being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. Verse 40, how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed signs in Egypt. I lost my spot. And then his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them, frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to be destroyed the locusts, the fruit of their labor to the locusts. He destroyed their, destroyed their vines with hail, their sycamores with frost. He gave their cattle to the hail and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, distressing, distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from the death and gave their lives over to the plague. 
He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the, fir- the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them to safety so that they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies and he brought them into his holy land, right? So there's this, this unfaithfulness of the people, but God is still faithful, right? He's rescuing them, he's saving them, he's bringing them to the holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out the nations before them he apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Verse 56, right? Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow, for they, were provoked, they provoked him to anger with their high places, so they were making idols. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. He says it. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. This is when the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive, right? It says, fire devoured their young men and their young women had no marriage song. The priests fell by the sword and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds, from the following, the nursing ewes he brought him, to the shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. All right. You guys would probably think, why does this guy read everything? I read it because I think the Bible is all sufficient, you know? And sometimes I think I could try to put words in there, in which I kind of do still, sometimes for context. But ultimately, God's word stands on its own. And this was written to be sung all at once. It was a song. They would sing it, you know, as a, as a remembrance to teach the people. Now, I don't know if you were able to keep up with all of the themes, but basically, I'm going to break it down for you. The few of the themes were this, is that um, it was all about the faithfulness of God despite the people's unfaithfulness, right? We see that all the way throughout. The people are unfaithful, but God is faithful. It's about God's redemptive work, his patience, right? How long-suffering can you be to have a people that you are literally providing food every morning? They just have to go outside and pick it up. You know, birds, water, everything that they could need. He's giving them armies, you know, of angels. He's literally knocking down huge walls in Jericho. I mean, he's doing everything he can for these people, yet they are still turning from him. He's a very patient God. It's also about God who loved and continued to lead his people to the eventual peace and reign of David and Solomon, right? So this whole psalm gets summed up. Remember, this is Asaph's experience. He's, he's reflecting on this journey of the Israelite people to this moment where he is now standing as a worship leader before the temple, which has just been built by Solomon. And we see that in verse 69. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. And so here's Asaph, and he's looking at the huge temple of Solomon. If you want to get your socks knocked off. Read about the temple dedication. It's amazing what God did, um, just how powerful it was. But Asaph experienced all that, and he's just overcome with just gratitude that God was with them through all of these things, right? And now David has established, you know, he says the shepherd, and now Solomon, and here is the psalm. Now, if you circle all the way back, though, uh, it's also a reminder of the importance of family, and the breakdown of generations remaining faithful as a gradual easing of generations 
till there was generations that didn't even know, right? And so part of this theme that he even hits on at the beginning is this is a, this is a encouragement of wisdom, right? Because what happened was that generation after generation would come, a, a generation that didn't know God, right? And because they didn't know God, God, they would turn from God. They would begin to worship idols. They would begin to go towards these things that would prevent um, God from being able to bless his people because they were acting in disobedience. And so it's a reminder to the people, listen, you see how good everything is right now? This is Asaph writing this song. You see how good everything is right now? Don't forget how bad it was. And how do you not forget as you teach your kids that this generation? Because I think that's the thing sometimes we do. I mean, even me as a dad, you know, I've experienced God and just amazing, powerful ways, but sometimes I forget uh, not everybody's experienced God the way I have. And if I don't take the opportunity to share that, to spread that to somebody else, those experiences will die with me, right? If, they, if I don't pass it on to that next generation, they're not going to understand because they haven't heard and they haven't experienced it. And so that's what Asaph's trying to say is, listen, we have to do a good job of passing this on to the next generation. Uh, another passage that kind of shows down this, uh, that shows this, this breakdown was in the book of Judges. Um, after Joshua passed away, um, this is in verse, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, there continued to be a, uh, sorry, verse 8, and Joshua the son of Nun and the servant of the Lord died at the age of 110, 110 years, and they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath, Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the Mount of Gaash, and all the generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done in Israel. So imagine that, right? The Israelite people, their story is so amazing, but somehow, despite all that God had done for them, rescuing them from Egypt, there arose a generation that did not know God, that did not know what God had done for Israel. And some of us are like, well, man, you know, I don't know how that could even happen. You know, how could that happen? How, How could they have been so, you know, well, I was listening to a podcast recently about uh, World War II, you know, and how that generation, after they experienced what they experienced in World War II, a lot of times didn't share anything, right? They came home and they kept what happened, the horrors of the war, to themselves. And I think probably it makes sense why, right? The things that they had to endure, the things they had to see were very, very difficult. And it wasn't until, you know, probably in the last you know, a few years of their lives, a lot of them would begin to open up, and now you have these documentaries where you have these World War II veterans, you know, sharing the stories of what happened. But there were probably so many stories that were lost because they couldn't find it in themselves to share. And I think sometimes we, we forget that it's easy not to share, right? It's sometimes easy for us to keep these experiences that we've had to ourselves. And so uh, my encouragement is for us, to not do that, and specifically not to do that with our kids. And so my first point for us this morning, we're going to get through all three real quick, is uh, share the good news of Jesus with your kids. We need to be sharing the good news of Jesus with your kids. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know, the Bible is very clear that the means to teach your kids about Jesus is the parents, right? The parents first. It's God designed the mother and the father in this you know, the, the original design was for mother and father to raise their kids and to teach them who God was. You know, we have kids programs, we have children's church, we have Sundays. All of these things are good, but this is supposed to be supplemental, right? The greatest example, uh, the greatest teaching we can do is through our own lives and teaching these kids. One of the uh, passages that I think highlights this well is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. It's the, the, to the Jew, this is like the 
one of the greatest passages in all of Scripture. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. See, God instructed the people of Israel, this is something you have to do diligently, right? I love all these examples. Uh, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise, you know, and even to the point where the Jews took him so literally that they put like these little books of the law in this little box on their heads, you know, so like in Jesus' time, the religious leaders were walking around with the law. Um, it's crazy stuff. But it was supposed to be that important that they're supposed to always be reminding and teaching their kids. You know, uh, I had a conversation with another pastor not too long ago about the Ten Commandments, and he was like, you know, if our generation could just teach our kids the Ten Commandments and teach them the whys of the Ten Commandments, it could change a generation. You know, just the idea of these simple rules that God gave his people to, to love God and love others, it could change the world if we taught them seriously. So my first thing is we have to be ready as parents to teach the good news uh, of the scripture to teach the Bible, and then ultimately of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us to our kids. The second is, we need to share the good news with our kids about how God saved us. So this goes back to the, you know, what I was saying about the World War II veterans, right? So, so often, um, we keep these experiences that we've had to ourselves, and I don't know why, maybe because it's easy, maybe because it's extra work, maybe because they're going to ask us a million questions, and sometimes it's not fun answering all these questions from our kids, but we need our kids to understand how God has worked in our lives specifically. You know, it's great for them to know every book in the Bible, but if they can't see it, someone who's living it out in their, in their lives, then it's, it's hard for them to understand. And so one of the things that we need to do as parents is to have uh, conversations with our kids where we share those awesome memories. You know, we always have those fun family memories. We're like, Dad, not again, or Mom, we've already heard this story. But I think our stories of salvation should be those kinds of stories for our kids. I think the stories that where we have been impacted by God uh, powerfully, our kids need to know those um, because it's going to help shape them. And sometimes, you know, like I think like Diane said, you know, she learned more about her dad in the last few weeks, you know, and that's sad and she wishes she had more time. And so often we put these kinds of conversations off that we could be having now. And the last point I want to make is even if your kids have moved on, don't have any kids in the home, you need to help lead and guide the kids around you. You know, um, I asked permission from Laura, but I love how Elise, she's not here today, but Elise just goes and sits next to Laura like every Sunday. Like that is so cool. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, she's taking this opportunity on Sundays to love on this little girl. And I think the more as a church that we can do that, and it's not just Laura, a bunch of you do this. I've seen it. Um, I just wanted to give her props. Is, is awesome, you know? And I think of even Julie's story with her... Uh, you know, adopted father, and how, you know, he saw a family, and there was, they were in need. Now, he went all the way, you know, he married, but you don't have, just serving the kids around you, the, the kids that are in need, how important is that? Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and this was a kind of a fun conversation. They're arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest, who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus uh, confronts them. This is in Mark chapter 9, verse 33 through 37, and it says, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys discussing on the way? 
But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. You know, I think the greatest thing we can do is to love on kids. The greatest thing we can do is to help prepare the next generation for what's coming. You know, and you mentioned the world right now, you know, and I, I think of the stuff our kids are getting taught. I think of the, the, the attempts that the enemy is making to keep kids from the word of God, to keep kids from knowing the truth about who God is, morality, all of these things. We have, as a church, we have to be so intentional. We have to be diligent to help teach these kids who God is, and not just who, teach them, but show them, right? And so we have to love on these kids. We have to grab them up and uh, receive them because that's how we'll become great in this kingdom. It's not anything else that we do. It's by loving on these kids. So that's my, my message for you this morning is that um, we would be a church that mentors to the next generation. You know, it's Father's Day. Fathers, take this charge. Mothers, take this charge. Let us all take this charge um, so that we can continue to pass the torch from generation to generation. Let's stand and we'll say a word of prayer together. Father God, I just praise you, Lord, I thank you. Lord, I thank you for this, this morning that, um, that your word teaches us to just keep your word, keep your commandments from generation to generation, to teach them to the younger generation. And Lord, I pray that you would help us um, to be faithful to your word. Um, Lord, we want to see your kingdom continue. We want to see your will be done. And so, Lord, we pray that you will work in us and through us. Lord, help us to be uh, quick to share what God has done in our lives with those around us and to be a light to those who may not know um, how you've worked in our lives. Lord, I pray as we depart from here and we go our separate ways, Lord, that you would just give us opportunities even now to share with our kids and grandkids and um, friends, Lord, the work that you've done in our lives. We praise you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about this message or about Green Country Church, you can email us at greencountrychurch at gmail.com. Well, thanks again for listening. We look forward to hearing from you soon.